Thanks for listening to Worship Local. This is Frontier Church's podcast where we exist for the glory of Jesus and the joy of Des Moines. In today's podcast, Andrew and I talk about Jesus's descent in preparation for Frontier Church's Harrowing of Hell Night. We love you and we hope this podcast helps you worship local. What's up, dude? Welcome back to Iowa. Got a good Iowa welcome. Got snow. Yeah. Lots of food. Lots of people. It's been awesome. Okay, take us through why it was so when you when you showed up, man, it was like pillowy cartoony snow coming down. Take us through why that was crazy for you. Yeah, well I um This least, is such a good story. Yeah, at least the dudes in Frontier know um I, I requested snow. I wanted to help clear some snow. Uh, at the building, uh, I didn't get to do that because I got beaten to it. But I got to I got to help you do a little driveway snow removal. Yeah, that counts. Uh, but it was cool for a few that reasons. Counts. Like one of the reasons was our first day in Des Moines when we moved here in 2016. It snowed like seven inches when we moved into our house, and so I'm having to unload a truck, shovel, shovel back to the truck, and then continue that process for about. Uh, it took about seven hours to move into our house. So that was it was pretty cool just to have that in the back right. of our minds of. Oh, when we first came here, it snowed a bunch. And then we come back for the first time in a year and a half, and it snowed a bunch. So that was cool. It's so weird, man. It's so weird. Like, what a welcome to Iowa. I think my soul needed that. It was healing for me to come back and be like, oh, Iowa's still Iowa's. Yeah. There's snow here. <laughs> it's cool. it, was that the healing piece of it? Was like the Iowa has continued to be Iowa without me kind yeah. of feeling? or. And I've used this uh, example, or I've thought about this in so many different ways, talking with people like, whenever I left Frontier, I didn't think Frontier was going to fall apart. Right. But it's cool to come back and see Frontier flourishing and growing and me not be a part of it. It's like mm-hmm. a kid who gets raised in his parents' house. And yeah. The kid graduates high school and has independence and um, can make decisions on its own without the parents. Right. And it, they grow up to be well-functioning human beings um, who contribute to society and who love people. So right, it's just cool right. for me to see like where Frontier's at. I had a part in in starting Frontier and a part in growing yeah. Frontier. But now just to take a step back and look at Frontier, that's just been cool to see. Like, oh, where we're at mm-hmm. here. Maybe I helped yeah. lay the yeah. foundation, but I've not been arranging the furniture in this new house and I've not, you know, yeah. added on, you know, to to the house. So that's been really cool for me to see. And the reason why the kid can grow up and go into the real world and be successful is because of the quality of his parents, you know? So you you and your time here and you and Tracy laying the foundation and building skills and giving us gifts and leading the church with us is the reason why you could well, you know, I think the the more I learn about leadership, the more I think that, that the quality of a person's leadership is determined by how well the organization does without them and not with them. You know, like, yeah. I mean, that's true about parenting, right? So yeah. the quality of a parent isn't how cool the, the kids think they are, but how well they can do apart from their parents. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And getting to worship on yeah. the frontier this past Sunday was just... What was that like? What was that like? Well, I cried a lot. I didn't (laughs) sing a lot because I was crying a lot. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah, me too. But yeah, man, that was um, just so cool to to get a picture of the five and a half years that we had in Des Moines and understanding that they weren't in vain. Um, Just getting to see 
blood, sweat, and tears that we yeah. poured literally into Frontier um, for for that amount of time, um, not being in vain. You know, it would have been weird if Frontier right. had a, would have collapsed like a year after we left. Yeah, that would have sucked. But now Frontier is flourishing and getting to see people that um, I got to walk alongside years ago now having prominent leadership roles has been cool to see that mm-hmm. um but yeah so that that was just a tracy and i've just talked about it being a a healing moment because when we left frontier a part yeah. of us died like i had to let a dream die yeah um my dream job i had to set that aside um for the time and so yeah was, like hearing people seeing and you know the building that frontier now owns is a building that we looked at years ago right and uh, just seeing how God's his like good providential hand protected Frontier from getting this building way too early. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we weren't ready for it when no. we looked at it. Um, but and then now to have worshipped alongside Frontier in that building that we looked at in 2018, maybe mm-hmm. I think we looked at it. Um, and to let's see, it was cool to see a lot of your uh, vision back like five years ago. I come to fruition now. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Us looking at sanctuaries, and like, I'm gonna, I'll rip up this carpet and I put this stuff over here. <laughs> and like, that's what's happened now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> In the very so same building, yeah. you're making these comments. So, yeah, so that's just, that was just uh, so good for my family uh, this past uh, Sunday. Did anything stick out to you in, in the worship service where you were like, oh, that's different or elevated or. It's a good question. I mean, we're, we're like we we're pretty much the same thing we were. Like when when you guys left, we we've just you know grown and yeah. now we're in a different building and same mission, vision, stuff like that. Yeah, I, I think that a lot of the things that we were striving toward um, during my time here with you, um, what I experienced on Sunday was a culmination of that. Sure. Yeah. Of hearing the saints sing loudly. Um, yep having a fixed place, volunteers who were um, at ease, volunteering, leaders at ease, leading. Um, and, and part of it, just if you, um, being in a place where you have to set up and tear down every Sunday, there's a certain uneasiness that just inherently comes with that. Right. Um, yeah. You can't yeah. mitigate uneasiness whenever you, it's a thing that you, you, a building that you inhabit one Sunday a week, um, and you can do all you can, but something, mm-hmm. something. There's always something that's going to go wrong, and there's always something that's going to go wrong if you inhabit a space all throughout the week. But um, right. I told Joseph this: like your leadership and seeing you at ease and leading worship and leading your team, which is so cool to see, because yeah. there are things that you don't have to worry about when you, whenever you inhabit a, a space throughout the week, and you're not having to tear it down and set it back up, and tear it down and set it back up. Um, so yeah, I just I, I, and part of it was because I got to worship with the Frontier and not have any responsibilities whatsoever. For the first time. <laughs> I, yeah, I bet that was sweet. So that was yeah, that was very cool for me. Yeah, um, and I got to sit beside Tracy and my kids were going crazy. But um, but other than that, it was just I got to fully devote my attention to the sermon. Somebody else is having to worry about the sermon recording. Somebody mm-hmm. else is having to worry yep. about the lighting yep. and the trash getting picked up. So um, so that was that was really cool for me to to 
just experience um, what God is doing in Frontier and not have any skin in the game at this point. <laughs> yeah, you know, when, when, you, uh, when you participate in a worship service with a lot of leadership responsibility, sometimes you, sometimes you see the service as it appears mm-hmm. and not as it actually is. Yes. And y- yeah, when you don't have any of those leadership responsibilities, you can see it as it is and not as it appears to be yeah. or what, what it ought to be or what, you, you know, because you always compare it with an ideal in your head if you're a leader uh-huh. and that's probably not healthy. That's yeah. probably not good. Yeah. Um, but when you don't have any leadership responsibility, that's probably like, well, you know, Jesus has all the leadership responsibility over the church and nobody sees the church more clearly than him. So I guess there's that. Yeah. But you get to see it like Jesus does on Sundays like that. Yeah, dude, that was, I've been to so many churches in my life, just growing up, moving around a lot. And so, yeah, just getting to experience that. But it's a unique experience to have helped with something and then leave it and then come back and see it. That was just like the projector went down at one point. And, and <laughs> yeah, I still had like the yeah, gut yeah, reflex yeah. of like, I know how to fix this, but I should go walk back. <laughs> but this isn't my responsibility. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't. I'm glad you didn't. Um, so I got to see Andrew Johnson be like, oh, this is a problem. And it has to be fixed. <laughs> so, gosh. Um, so, yeah, that yeah, this is, it was good. I could talk for hours about um, what we experienced on Sunday morning. Yeah, I guess, you know, these last couple of days and being around Tracy and you and your family again, it just like the word that continues to come to mind is it makes me feel whole, mm. you know, like it just makes me feel whole. Like Sunday night, we had like, I don't know, like just a massive party. Like what were there like 50 people at the Dyke House? Plus kids. Yeah, it was chaos in there. It was freaking <laughs> nuts. And and we just partied uh, way too late. I knew it was going to go crazy when, like, Joseph Donofro drove his family home at, like, <laughs> 11 p.m. and then came back yeah. at, like, midnight or whatever. Right, we got to give some more time to this dude. He just made this journey back. <laughs> I was like, here we go. But seeing you and Tracy at the table and, um, you know, thinking about all of the good work that you did and all the good work that you continue to do as a youth pastor in Texas. And then seeing just seeing like Nick Powell and Holly Powell and thinking about their time at Frontier and how God equipped them and sent them out to go plant a church in Clinton and the good work that they're doing. And, you know, they're not really a church plant anymore. You know, they're developing and training elders over there and doing good work and, because, because like, uh, because he went and planted, I'm also looking at, you know, Joseph Donofro, who stepped up into that leadership role and yeah. fulfilled it in a cool way. And Andrew Johnson's at the table and he's not the man that he was a couple of years. He's stepped into like leader, like the dude's a leader now. And so like, I'm just looking at, cause like sometimes man, like, you know, this, like when you're planting a church, you just, you, you have to fight and scrap for every inch forward mm-hmm. and you never look up. And you never look up. And then Sunday night, I look up and it's just all all of you guys. And I'm just like, wow. I I just kept on thinking in my head, it's been so, it's so worth it. Mm -hmm. It's so worth it. It just made me feel whole. Yeah. That's a, that's a good, good explanation of that. Yeah. For me to see people who were being developed as leaders when I was leaving and now come up and they're full blown freaking leaders now. (laughs) Right. That was just, that was so cool to see you know, Judy Maxwell sends that text message to Sunday night about how great it was to see how, and proud, how proud she is of all of God's work through. And it's just like, I don't know, man, like it's hard. 
planting yeah. a church and yeah. doing ministry. But the fruits are magnificent when you get to take a bite out of them. Yeah. And it was cool to, you know, leaving a place that you love, leaving a church that you love, leaving friends who became more than friends, but became family that you love. And then being able to come back to that. Yeah, and you said this earlier, you get this kind of objective view of things. And, oh, wow. I get to experience this now just as a member. This would right. be so cool. <laughs> just like, it made me stoked for people who are members of frontier church. Be like you guys <laughs> get this on Sundays. Um, so that, that was, that was really cool for me to, to, to see and just seeing God's, uh, faithfulness, you know, especially like on those early years of Frontier. I'm like, okay, mm. are we doing the right thing? Is this worth it? Are we going in the right direction? And so now to see how God has matured Frontier um, and cause it to flourish, everything, every step of the way, every heartbreak, every drop of blood that was shed right. on a setup, like that, it was all worth it. It was. God, we were, we, we, tried to maintain our faithfulness to God and God honored the faithfulness of frontier. Um, and yeah, man, like two churches now being planted out of frontier frontiers under 10 years old. And that's wild. Yeah. That's wild that two churches are coming out of one church in less than 10 years. Yeah, man. Yeah. We're just really, and I mean this as a reform guy, <laughs> we're just really lucky. I just feel really, <laughs> really lucky like lucky in a sense that all these good gifts have come to us as a mechanism of god's grace and yeah. not because we deserve it just yeah feel very fortunate mm -hmm. blessed so i couldn't have you visit des moines and not preach so on <laughs> on what on wednesday night tomorrow night i don't know if we're gonna you know release this podcast before or after tomorrow night but we're we're gathering together to talk about the harrowing of, of hell and so i want to hear you just kind of talk a little bit about the Jesus's descent or his descent to the underworld, uh, his descent to hell, all that stuff. Let me, for, for our church, I know we confess this once or twice a month. I'm just going to read the Apostles' Creed, and then I'm, I've just got questions for you. So on a monthly basis, we get together and we confess this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Mm -hmm. Amen. So we get together and we, when we pledge our allegiance to King Jesus, we say he descended into hell. You pro bro, you probably grew up with the Apostles' Creed, and uh, if you didn't, you were at least aware of it. Like, what did you think as a as a young believer? Like, what did you think you were saying when you said he descended into hell? I mean, honest, I don't. I'm trying to remember the first time that I heard the Apostles' Creed, um, but I, I really can't pinpoint a, a moment in time. I remember as. Uh, probably in some homeschool curriculum and during like church history class that came out. It's probably the earliest memory I could have. So that would probably have been 
don't know, a sophomore in high school, uh, maybe. Um, but yeah, just growing up in a, in like most Southern Baptist churches, yeah, not, there's no call and response liturgy. There is not a, you know, there's no confessional liturgy, um, taking place there. And so, yeah, just growing up, like for me, that kind of seemed foreign, um, is it that, and that's kind of the way it felt whenever you would confess it or read it, you'd be like, oh, that's kind of, kind of weird and just kind of kept going. Yeah. I just having a low value for what the church has proclaimed for 2000 years. Um, you know, the Lord's prayer is one thing that gets carried over cause that's directly in the Bible. And so that one's okay yeah. to yeah, recite and to memorize, sure. um, growing up in my context. But, uh, but yeah, as I grow, grew up and got into adulthood and encountered some some people who uh, were passionate about church history and talking about um, the liturgies that the church has had um, and still maintains, but I, and they were passionate about. It. I was like, okay, I need to learn more about this. But then I would, yeah, I would encounter the Apostles' Creed. Yeah, you know, and sometimes you'll get an Apostles' Creed and that descent clause is uh, plucked out of it and it's not mentioned. Right, and so the first time that I really grasped, um, that I grasped, was that my phone? <laughs> it was not mine. Somebody trying to FaceTime oh, me? Yeah, it's Ben Bonwell. Well, he can he can wait a bit. Yeah, that's right. I'm gonna message him. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, I think whenever I sat down and actually read the Apostles' Creed, I was in Austin, uh, Texas, in a, my church planning residency, and reading this and. He descended into hell, and multiple thoughts were going through my mind. One was like, this is what these Roman Catholics talk about. <laughs> yeah, so that yeah. was one thing. My Protestant radar was going off loudly in my head. Yeah. Um, but then also, like, Jesus can't go to hell. That's where people, that's where sinners go to experience uh, punishment. Uh, so I had those those two thoughts going on in my head when I first yeah. actually absorb the content of the apostles creed i think that's super dude yeah i think you nailed it right there i think that that's like the two things that happen when you know uh visitors at frontier you know hear us or participate in the apostles creed and we get we get to that clause i think like number one the protestant radar goes off and they're like whoa i thought we were are we not like a reformed church and uh number two there's the thought of like what Jesus was tormented. Is this, and so I want to keep pushing a little bit on you before we get to uh, you know clarity of what we mean when we say that. Um, somewhere along the way, a couple of years ago, you got bit by the bug, man. You like you you became really passionate about studying Jesus's descent. Like what what happened? Can you take us through that process? How do you go from like skeptical about it, like you were growing up, to thrilled about it? Yeah. I, so we're we were in Des Moines whenever um, I started to get passionate about this, and I, and I think it's just a, a testament to God's goodness and kindness to me. You know, working hard, trying to get this young church off the ground. Um, you know, having to take some side jobs to support my family, and mm-hmm. I kind of found myself in, in a devotional rut. And then, um, you know, trying to be faithful in my devotion, trying to be faithful in my. Uh, Bible reading, faithful and meditation, but then I just kind of felt numb, um, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. Um, but you and I encountered this book called *The Unseen Realm* by a, a theologian who's recently passed away, um, Michael Heiser. And uh, in his book, he has a, a section on Christ descending to into hell, 
And the way that he explained it helped me make sense of some things, tear down some walls mm. of preconceptions that I had, um, but also made me curious. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I, you know, a lot of my training was just on systematic theology. And so whenever you approach a text, here's here's a way to interpret it. Here's a system to go about making sense of this. And and for, for our camp, systematic theology usually lends itself to we're going to read this text only in light of soteriology. Where does this right. point to salvation? Where does this point to the gospel? And, and it's good to read the text that way. Um, but there's also other ways. There's other layers. There's other angles uh, of the side of the diamond that is the scriptures. That are that are also faithful ways of reading the text. Exactly. Yeah. And so I'm reading this book, and um, God used that, that time in my life and used this book and used our conversations to really make me curious and excited about these things that I read and never really understood. Um, or, or I read them and I kind of understood them, but I didn't see how they were that important. Mm. Um, so yeah, then I'm thinking about, okay, Jesus descended into hell. Well, what is hell? Cause in my mind growing up, hell is the place that you go. If you were are not a follower of Jesus, you go to hell and you experience the punishment, you experience the wrath of God, you experience the total separation of God, the place where there is no common grace whatsoever that you're going to receive. Mm-hmm. That's what I heard whenever I heard the word hell. Right. And how, how, did, how did that change or what layer and texture got added as you started to, as you started to unpack? Was it, was it mean that Jesus descended to hell? Yeah, so this is good because I'm not going to be able to get into a lot of this just because I have like 30 minutes to teach on, uh, on Wednesday night. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But understanding the ancient Near Eastern view of the world. So you have the heavens and the waters above, you have earth, then under the earth you have these pillars that hold up the earth, and under the earth is this um, place called the underworld, the place of the dead, hell. Um, yeah. and so, Peter, Peter Lightheart, he's a theologian, he uses the phrase... The cosmos are a three-story house. Mm-hmm. I like. I just. I like thinking about it in that regard. Yeah, so we can nerd out on that. For yeah. A while, <laughs> yeah. 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 Four-hour podcast. Right. Um, but uh, so understanding that. So Hebrew, like the place of the dead. So what I mean by the place of the dead is whenever you die, because because I believe, I know this church believes, and I believe the scriptures teach this that you are not just flesh and you're not just spirit. Your your flesh that a that a soul that a spirit embodies, yeah. And so whenever you die, you don't just cease to exist. It's not an annihilation. Right. Something happens. Your soul and your flesh they are separated. So you're a disembodied spirit now, and so you go somewhere. Your spirit goes somewhere. And so mm-hmm. the Hebrew conception of this would be Sheol. It was whenever we put you in the ground. Not only is your body descending into the earth soil, but your spirit is going to a place that your body isn't, and you you are in this place. So they would they would they would call it shale. Yeah, that you bump into that word a lot in the Old Testament. Yeah, S H E O L. That's that's the word. Uh, and some English translations will always translate shale as hell. Um, some don't. Sometimes they yeah. sometimes they'll use it, and sometimes they won't. Um, but when you hear that word shale, like, that's where my spirit goes whenever my body dies. When my body's rotting in the ground, my spirit is, is somewhere else. And so kind of understanding that that three-tiered cosmos, that, that three-story house, 
of how an ancient Near Eastern person would have conceptualized the world, which is helpful me to understand. It laid a good foundation. Okay, okay. So yeah, they they believe that, and for a lot of modern day Christians, especially Protestants, um, we talk about going to heaven when we die. Right. If you follow Jesus, if you love Him, if you trust Him, if He's your comfort and hope and life and in death, then uh, you're gonna go to heaven. And that's not really fleshed out a whole lot. I remember thinking as a kid, was, was my, me when my body, my body goes to heaven. Like that's the end point. Is I just go to heaven. Oh, I, I'm just gonna, exp- I'm gonna be in heaven. And I'm just gonna be a disembodied spirit for all mm. of eternity. Mm. Um, that's what I thought about. And so understanding this this way that the Bible um, reveals to us what happens um, is that okay, my my body is gonna be in one place, my soul, my spirit is gonna be in another place, but that's not the end game there. That right. eventually, we read in Revelation, we read a lot of Paul's literature, we see this imagery of Christ and his d- death, burial, and resurrection, that, that eventually our bodies and souls are going to be realigned in new creation. And so understanding some of those components was, was really helpful for me um, to not be afraid of that word hell. Yeah, I guess like one of the first times that really popped to me was uh, one theologian pointed something out in Revelation that I had really never seen before. Which is, uh, which is that the saints who are in heaven at the throne of God right now say to the Lord, how long, O Lord, until you establish justice on earth? Mm-hmm. And so despite the perfections of heaven and being in the presence of God, they still see being in heaven as like the red zone and mm-hmm. not the end zone. Exactly. It's great. Yes. We do, before God you know, finishes new creation and, and we're resurrected, we do go to heaven when we die. Mm-hmm. But I always thought that that was the the end zone, and it turns out that it's the red zone. Apparently, like when you look at the saints in Revelation, even those in heaven are waiting and longing for new creation. Mm-hmm. I, that just freaking blew my mind. Yeah, we've got ten more yards to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, um, yeah, so that disarmed me to, uh, you know, when I, you see that word H E L L growing up in the tradition I grew up in, that's only in terms of that's where unbelievers go. That's where they experience God's wrath. And so under helping making sense of that was just really helpful for me to think through, okay, that lays the state that, that creates the stage for, okay, now if Jesus was totally human and totally God, then he had to experience that level of humanity where mm-hmm. your soul and your, and your body are, are separated for a time. So Jesus had to go to that place of the dead, right? And so, okay, well, well then yeah, because there's a, um, and maybe we'll talk about this later. I'll talk about it um, on Wednesday night. But there was a, a heresy called Apollinarianism, and they believed that Christ only had a divine spirit and a divine mind. What? When did Apollinarian? <laughs> Apollinarianism. Apollinarianism. When did that take root? If I remember correctly, it's gonna be mid to late 300s okay if i remember correctly um and uh so this this heresy comes up and so they say no christ could not have descended to hell because he was only a divine spirit and a divine mind he wasn't fully god and fully man he was fully fully god and had this kind of a shell of humanity um yeah he did have flesh but he, he didn't take on human flesh it was like a costume yeah, it was like a costume, which so similar to some other um, Christological heresies um, in the early church, early church period. Uh, but yeah. this one, 
in particular was uh, was going after um, Christ being you know having the, being a part of the uh, the hypostatic union, uh, the theological term for that, him being fully God, fully man, um, and so this heresy right. starts to to pop up. And one of the pe- one of the things, that, uh, maybe I'm jumping the gun here, but one of the uh, criticisms people have about that clause in the Apostles' Creed, he descended to hell. It was a, it was a late addition to the Apostles' Creed mm-hmm. um, because in their mind, when we say that Christ was buried, the the social imagination of Jews and of uh, the early church was well. That meant he, that he went to the place of the dead, not just his mm-hmm. body, but his spirit went to the place of the dead. But because of this heresy of Apollinarianism, they added he descended into hell um, into the creed to to say this is what an orthodox understanding of of Christ, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his burial, his descension into the place of the dead, and his victorious resurrection. Um, and that, that is the way that in the early church that the Apostles' Creed functioned, was as a, as a profession of faith that determined, is, does the person have a biblical or orthodox view of God or, or not? Mm-hmm. It was the, you know, the benchmark or the standard. Yes. And so, um, so yeah, piecing all these things together, that, that developed in me a passion. Okay, well, if Jesus did do this, well, then what did he do when he descended into hell? <laughs> yeah, right. What right. do you do? Do you just go down there and chill out for a couple of days, knowing that, hey, I'm gonna be, I'm not gonna be here that long, fellas. But uh, it's good to see y'all. Oh, you evil spirits, yeah. Um, good to see you guys too. You guys, yeah, you're pretty sorry for what you're gonna do. Okay, cool. Well, you're still gonna be here. Uh, death and destruction await you. Ah, okay. So we have to talk about that question. <laughs> what, 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 what did he do when he descended to hell? Um, but pause. What, what did Tracy think when you just like started nerding out on? Jesus's descent was she like bro you're crazy or was she like no go get him yeah no that uh so the unseen realm book by uh Michael Heiser um I remember sitting on our bed in uh in our house on East 9th street and uh and reading through it and getting to the section and he he talks about this several times in the book but uh, especially whenever he talks about baptism mm-hmm. and uh and he is talking about First Peter chapter three, um, eighteen to twenty-two. Yeah, and uh, I'm reading this, and I just kind of like I've had several moments in my life where I'm reading something and I just close the book, and I'm just kind of like, hmm. <laughs> That's why I, I, I don't know what else to do uh, with what this content I've just received. <laughs> and so, uh, like, yeah, this dude yeah, is right. saying that Jesus descended into hell, and I've been reading like this ancient Near Eastern worldview and uh, three-tier cosmology, all this stuff. And so I told Tracy, you know, this dude, he believes that Jesus descended to hell. And she was like, that's impossible. Jesus would never go to hell. And so then I got to be like, okay, well, here's a Jewish understanding of hell, of, of Sheol. Um, here's the Greek understanding of hell, Hades, and then the place for the really bad evil spirits. And then it's Tartarus where they're imprisoned. Um, and so talking about that, and oh, there's a righteous compartment of the afterlife, and there's an mm-hmm. unrighteous compartment of, of the afterlife. Um, and they are two separate spaces, um, and they're both awaiting a judgment for the righteous. It's a judgment of not guilty for the judge for the unrighteous. It's a judgment of you are guilty. Um, so it's kind of unpacking that, and I think it took her because she wasn't reading the book, and it's just like when you get somebody like Malachi is super stoked on Harry Potter right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no interest in Harry Potter. 
And so he'll want to come to me and talk to me about Harry Potter. I'm like, oh, that's cool. We have so-and-so did such-and-such. That's kind of how Tracy was for a while. Yeah. And then yeah. I kind of we talked about this more, and I'd, we'd read this Bible together. And be like, okay, well, here's here's how this does make sense. Right. So yeah, she looked at me like a weirdo. Looked at me like yeah, I would have looked yeah. at me five years ago, you know, from that sure. point. So, yeah, it was pretty funny. So you're on this journey. Tracy looks at you like a, like a weirdo, you know, but eventually you guys start kind of talking, you know, like coming to consensus together about it. Um, but let's, we do got to come back to that question of like, okay, well, what, what did he do when he descended into hell? Like, how would you answer that? So there's a lot of backstory to, to be able to understand. So I'm glad we're doing this podcast because I'm not able to cover all of this. <laughs> um, but to delay the framework, so I've already talked, we've already talked about this three tiered cosmos, the heavens, the earth, and then the underworld. So those three layers of things, those three stories of a house. Um, but what we see, if you trace what's going on in Genesis, you see the creation, you see the the rebellion of of Adam and Eve, you see the spiritual being, the serpent, uh, that this being that was created by God to eternally worship him and carry out his will, he also rebels. Mm-hmm. And so things just continue to to devolve into to chaos. You look at the ge- genealogies of of uh, of Cain. You look at the genealogies of Seth, and we see an unrighteous line and a righteous line. We see these things, um, and things just continue to get worse. We see the, right. we see the first murder, and then right. one of Cain's descendants, Lamech, he murders someone and writes a. Some people will say he, that it's a, what we see in Genesis chapter four is a is a song that he writes about murdering someone for injuring him. And so things just continue to, to devolve into 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 chaos. Mm-hmm. And then we get to Genesis chapter six. And you look at that first collection of verses, and it just talks about the wickedness of the world. And then we see that something uh, happen, and it's one of the most debated passages of scripture. Mm-hmm. But it talks about these sons of God who look and they see that the daughters of man, they're attracted to them, and they come and they take as many women as they want and make them their wives. And they create an offspring, and this offspring is is called the Nephilim. And then it goes into God choosing Noah because Noah walked with God, and um, and God tells Noah, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna blot out humanity, but I'm gonna choose you mm. and your wife and mm-hmm. your sons and your sons' wives. I'm gonna protect you." And so there's a lot going on in Genesis, uh, especially Genesis chapter six. But you've got these. And the way that I interpret it and the way that has been interpreted throughout church history up until a certain point, um, that these sons of God were spiritual beings who, again, were rebelling against God. So just as that, just as, as we would define it, Satan rebelled against God in the garden and led humanity astray. Um, these sons of God, they also step outside of their boundaries that God had allotted for them. God's designed for them and they corrupt humanity. Mm-hmm. And humanity just continues to grow more and more wicked to the point where God in Genesis chapter 6 says he regrets that he created humanity. Yeah. Like it's it, startling it, phrase. Yeah. It's jarring to read that. Like he feels it in his heart the the pain that humanity is causing against one another and against him. And so if you if you're viewing this through the lens of okay these were spiritual beings these sons of God these sons of Elohim these spiritual beings that God had created for a certain purpose they rebel against Him and they have this hatred for humanity they have this hatred for God and so the best way they think they can take it out on God is to pervert humanity and to distort mm-hmm. humanity and so they create these 
these beings with women called the Nephilim or giants. People, <laughs> people debate how you define the word Nephilim, but regardless, we have this, and then we see later on um, these these uh, giants throughout the Old Testament. But anyway, um, so you have these Nephilim, and so the Jewish understanding was that they were spiritual beings that rebelled. Yeah. And then when the flood came, God wiped out some or most or all of them. There's three different ways to think about sure. about that. But the flood was not just because of humanity, but it was because humanity had become something that he had not intended it to be. These Nephilim were walking the face of the earth, these mighty men of old, the men mm-hmm. of renown. Um, and they were leading hum- humanity into further violence and chaos. And so the flood leads up to that. So the Jewish understanding of what happened to these Nephilim, these beings, is that God kills them in the flood, and their spirits are enchained. They're imprisoned. These sons of God that rebelled, they're enchained. They're imprisoned in the underworld, in yeah, hell, right. in Sheol. And so that's kind of the, that's the backstory to this. This was so. Here's the reason why God had to do this, and then what happened when He did this was enchain these spirits who were supposed to rule in a certain way with God, um, but they rebel instead, and so. They are um, doomed for eternal gloom and eternal imprisonment in the underworld to where they can't pervert um, humanity. They can't commingle with humanity. There's a lot that we can get into with that as far as it comes to demons. But anyway, um, and so when Jesus descends, and we see this in 1 Peter chapter 3, Jesus descends into hell. He goes down and he preaches to the spirits who are imprisoned. And he's not preaching, uh, he's not giving them a chance of repentance whenever he's preaching. So when we think of the word preaching, we think of, oh, this is what the pastor does uh, when he gets up behind the pulpit in front of the church and he preaches. That word preach means to proclaim Yeah. Uh, in, in Greek. And uh, and so Jesus, is, when he descends, he's not just taking a nap. He's not just waiting for the next, he's not just waiting for Easter Sunday when he's resurrected, but he descends whenever his spirit leaves his body. King James says Jesus gave up the ghost, and he dies. He breathes his last breath. He declares that it is finished, and then he descends. Into, his spirit descends into the underworld while people are trying to figure out what to do with his body. So can I can I read really quickly from First Peter yeah, three? Yeah, because this is fantastic, and it also sounds crazy to new Christians. And so I just I just want to cast a light on the fact that what you're talking about right now is in the text. This is First Peter three verse eighteen. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. So, I yeah, it, it's textual. It's First Peter 3 and a couple others. Yeah, and I don't know if we have time for this. Sure. right now to go more into that passage um but uh but yes yeah, so Christ descends there and he preaches he proclaims that you guys thought that you were going to win you thought that you were going to pervert humanity and lead humanity to mm-hmm. eternal doom but Jesus says I tell you what boys I'm going to be resurrected up out of this thing and I'm pronouncing judgment on you he preaches the gospel but they are not they don't have a, a second chance, right? It's not to evangelize. Yeah, there's no second chance in, in the in the underworld, and there there were many, uh, especially in like the 1400s and 1500s. There were several um, heresies, and even in uh, probably like the 
300s and 400s, there are people who, you know, we know it as universalism, that there is a second chance in the, in, in the afterlife, um, whenever your spirit leaves your body. There's a second chance for that. There's not. Uh, that has been refuted over and over again by, <clears throat> by the church. Um, but Jesus is proclaiming, you guys thought you were going to win, but you're not winning. I have come in not just to, I've not, I've not come into this world, uh, stepped outside of my boundary and mated with women and created this offspring. I've taken on flesh. I'm fully God. I'm fully man. And I lived the perfect human life. And to be a perfect human, I have to descend into the place of the dead. And mm-hmm. now I get to pronounce judgment on you. Right. That you're not going to win. The kingdom of darkness is not going to win. And that I'm going to be resurrected and be the first fruit of new creation. And so Jesus is going down there and he's looking at these fools who are imprisoned. They're in shackles. They're in chains. We see the language used also in Second Peter and in Jude. Um, in the canon of the scripture that, that discuss these rebellious spirits. And Jesus is going down there and he's pointing the finger at them and saying, you guys aren't winning. Right. He's, he's rattling not, their cages and be like, hey, you guys thought that right. because you and your your kingdom uh, crucified me and killed me that you're going to win? You're not going to win. I'm going to resurrect. I'm going to be out of here. And part of the... Uh, a, you go first. Oh, yeah, that's, it's good. It's good. Some yeah. other things I don't know if uh, would be helpful right now. Well, I, I think that's that's a key understanding, too, to what Jesus is doing in hell. Is that he's not Billy Graham in him, right? He's not trying to ransom those... <laughs> those sensational. Right, 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 right. He's, he's rubbing their nose in it. Yeah. Because um, these are these are these are beings who wanted to devastate and, and destroy and trash God's good creation, mm-hmm. and in some measure succeeded in that before yeah. the salvation that came through Jesus. And so it's definitely, yeah. and just seeing Jesus' incarnation is the undoing of these sons of God in Genesis six, perverting humanity, and mm-hmm. you know giants—they're known for being these great warriors and these you know people who are hard to defeat. Think of Goliath. Israel was pooping their pants whenever they saw Goliath come out. Yeah. And then you get this person who is the least likely to engage in combat, this little shepherd boy, and he comes out and murks this giant. David! And so Jesus, this man from this little town who, Scripture says, was he was nothing to look at. Right. And he comes and he subjects himself to death, but in doing so, descends into hell and proclaims victory and judgment and wages war against the kingdom of darkness mm. by giving up his life. But he didn't stay dead. He is resurrected. Right. And so Jesus on the cross secures victory for the believer over over sin and death. But when he descends, he pronounces his victory to the kingdom of darkness over sin and death. Right, right. Revelation one eighteen, he snatches the keys of of death from from the kingdom of darkness. Jesus owns death. Yeah, he is the Lord yeah, over yeah, all. Yeah. Um, so he battles with the kingdom of darkness and he secures the keys of death. And so now uh, he provides a way for the righteous that are in the righteous compartment of, of hell, of the place of the dead, of the underworld. They are now able to be in God's direct presence. And Jesus has gone before humanity and has descended into hell to redeem all the faithful. So whenever we die... And our body, our bodies, and our souls are are separated. Our soul is present with Christ. It's present, mm-hmm. present with God, uh, um, and that was made possible by Christ's descent. And so that's one of the many, many reasons why I'm passionate about um, the descent. You got guys like Wayne Grudem, 
Um, and I, I really admire and respect Wayne Grudem. I've learned a lot. Yeah, I read his yeah, same, yeah. theology front to back several times. Um, uh, he's a helpful and faithful theologian, uh, but he wants to he wants to remove the the descent clause from the Apostles' Creed uh, because he views it as only um, well. There's a lot of he has a lot of uh, beliefs on why it should be removed, but um, I think he discredits the thought of that three tier cosmology. He's right. stuck with that hell language. Um, or it's only it's only allegorical. It's only like Jesus didn't actually descend. When he descended, it was just him going into the grave and dying on behalf of the faithful humans. Um, so, but I'm passionate about it. Thinking of Jesus being at work in his death. Mm-hmm. He was at work yeah. in his life. He was at work on the cross. And then whenever he died, whenever he breathed his last last breath, he was his spirit was at work on behalf of God's people. Right. That's just amazing for me to think about. You've got Good Friday, and as Protestants, we usually skip Saturday. We're like, well, he just he's just dead, um, and then we'll wait for Resurrection Sunday. But Jesus is at work on his pe- on behalf of his people on Holy Saturday. Yeah, he's at work yeah, in the key. spiritual realm, waging war. His war was not it did not end against the kingdom of darkness while he was alive or when he died, but it was at work while he was his body was dead. Right. <clears throat> Um, so that was just powerful. I mean, there's so many implications and pastoral leadership that you can pluck from that. There's so many, um, implications. If you have a fear of death, uh, there's so many implications. If you struggle with, um, with, uh, with depression and anxiety to meditate on Christ's descent. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's really the only way to, like, I, I think is one of the key ways to understand Jesus's ministry as King mm-hmm. and specifically the, how he fulfilled, uh, his role as a as a Messiah. I mean, everybody rightly understood that a Messiah would come to go to battle and win the war for them. That was a right assumption. They, what they did wrong was they assumed that that was Rome, right? Mm-hmm. They assumed that that was that was Caesar. Um, but that doesn't mean that Jesus didn't engage in a military battle. Right. He, he did, but the true enemy were these you know, fallen spirits, d- demonic beings, um, and the devil himself. Uh-huh. And so, understanding uh, Jesus' descent into hell as his triumph over our enemies, after he fully and completely atoned for our sin on the cross, and in such a way that Jesus could say, it is finished, yes. and then come back from battle, I think is it's just key. And, and it made sense of like why there's so many eating narratives when Jesus comes back in his resurrection. Because mm-hmm. what does a king do when he returns from a military battle and he returns back to his kingdom? He eats, he celebrates. And yeah. That's precisely, yeah, and that's what communion is. Yeah. I mean, and you've got, uh, we just had a Super Bowl here pretty, not too far back, but you think about what they do when they come back from the Super Bowl. They freaking, they go on a parade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're flaunting their rings, they're flaunting the the trophy. Um, all the players are there. And so in Jesus, he secures victory. His Super Bowl is on the cross. He secures that. He defeats sin and death. It is finished. He's paid the ultimate price. He's been the substitutionary, perfect atonement. And then he goes on his parade. And his parade starts when his descent into Hades, into hell, into Sheol, into the underworld. Mm-hmm. And he's point. He's got that trophy in his hands, and he's showing these evil, rebellious spiritual beings. You guys didn't win. 
You thought you won. Paul talks about, hey, if they knew that Jesus was going to be resurrected, they wouldn't have crucified the king of glory. But Jesus knows, yeah, right. Jesus knows what's going on. Right. He's fully God. And so, yeah, he's on his victory parade in the place of the dead. And he's taken all of God's faithful out of that place of the dead and taking them to his the direct presence of his father. Um, dude, that... It's like, bro, it, if you can take all of that theology and load it into the phrase, he descended into hell... You would never confess the Apostles' Creed with half a heart. Yeah, we should. Right? For sure. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. it, dude, it just, it would blow it. So, I want to come back to something that you said. We're coming up on an, on 50 minutes here, but I, I want to come back to something you said and just kind of tease this out a little bit. You said that, and I think you're right, a lot of times in our theological tribe, we we have a big vision for Good Friday. We, we gather together and we think about Jesus' suffering on the cross. And uh, Saturday is kind of like a, a dead day, and then Sunday is Easter, all right? And we, we freaking celebrate for that. Um, but what about Holy Saturday? What about that day between Friday and Sunday? How, like, how do you think we should celebrate that, bro? How do we apply all this good theology to the way that we live our lives on that Saturday? Yeah, man, and that's something that I'm, I'm still trying to think through. What can I make? What can I do to make Holy Saturday distinct? So if I do believe that Jesus did the things that I've just said he's done, and I do believe that the scriptures teach this, what can I put in place in my life to remind me of that? Like Everybody knows like Good Friday, that's a somber night. We leave in silence after the Good Friday service. We're contemplating our sin, our mortality, and what Christ did on the cross, that the one who was perfect died for the imperfect. Um, we, we have a fixed idea of that and then Saturday is just kind of like well we'll wait for the Easter baskets to roll out and we'll you know I'll put on a tie on Easter Sunday maybe there'll be some baptisms everybody's gonna be in pastels um, by week we, Saturday's yeah. like by week yeah we sing all these big songs about the resurrection uh, we do all those things um, so what can I put into place in my life on Holy Saturday to cause me to contemplate and to reflect Christ's descent and so a couple of ways that I and I'll just um, say this on the out on the before I get into what I think that I want to do with my family is be be uh, curious about what you can do on Holy Saturday. Yeah, I like that. So whether it's you know someone in, in the church I'm part of now or a, someone a member of Frontier Church, what is going to cause you to reflect on Christ's descent? What what can you do in the morning, afternoon, evening, whatever that might be? What can you do that's going to cause your mind what? What habit, what practice can you put into place that you use your body to tell your mind something and to tell your soul something? And so for me, a couple of the ways that I've been thinking about this is um, like the descent of Jesus is not a somber moment. His crucifixion was, but his descent is a victorious and celebratory moment. Yeah, it's the beginning of his ascension. Yeah, because he's celebrating while he's descended. Yeah. He's celebrating, he's partying in front of these evil beings. Um, over he's celebrating over sin and over death, um, so one of like one of the things I've thought about is like hey that Holy Saturday evening we're gonna have a really good meal and we're gonna it's gonna be something we really like yeah we take our yeah. time crafting this meal um, and there are a couple of prayers and poems uh, that have to do from the early church period and then and the uh, during the medieval period um, of uh, uh, about Christ's descent mm-hmm. to think through that. Uh, before I go to bed with my kids, like, hey, we're going to read the Apostles' Creed together. Before, you know, we have our normal bedtime, family worship time. Um, and so 
maybe instead of reading a book, we're just we're going to read the Apostles' Creed and reflect on that clause of Christ descending into hell. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to go to sleep, which the scriptures some, use uh, several times as a, a symbolic of death. And then when you wake up, it's symbolic of a resurrection. And so just thinking about, okay, Christ has descended into death. So as we lay our heads on our pillows tonight, we're going to be thinking about how Christ descended into the underworld, but then he gets resurrected. Um, yeah, yeah. So just putting little things like that in place. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so th- those are a couple of ways that I've been thinking about how to do this. I'm, I'm not totally fixed on it. This will be the first year that I actually would say I'm going to celebrate Holy Saturday. Oh, nice. Last year, I did, a lot, I did a lot of reading and reflection, but that was primarily for me, and I really didn't shepherd my family well in that way hmm. to lead them to think about all the components of what Jesus has done on on uh, behalf of all who follow him. And so I'm trying to draw my kids into that story cool. of, hey, this is what Jesus did on Friday. And then while he was dead, he was still at work. And then here's what happened. We know what happens when he got resurrected. But yeah. there's this in-between period, and it's not purgatory. So hopefully I've not come across saying, like, the underworld is a purgatory. Um, I, I don't believe in that. But Jesus is not just... He's not soul sleeping. He's he's soul beaten whenever he's <laughs> whenever he's uh, in the underworld. And he's pronouncing victory and he's proclaiming the gospel. Yeah, um, and it's good news for the faithful and it's bad news for the unfaithful. Um, so just little things like that. Just uh, nothing outlandish. I'm very idealistic. Sure. I think about my the Sabbath podcast we did. Like I don't know. I mean, stinking years ago that was. But. <laughs> I, like I pulled up a document, like this is what we're going to do on the Sabbath. This could be awesome, right? And it was oppressive. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, it did not spark joy. You know? <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, just thinking, about what can I do to make Saturday celebratory for my family and for my 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 soul um, on that day? So, those cake? Are- Would you do cake? Cake in the morning for the kids? <laughs> Maybe that's a good thought. Man, that'd really make it stick out to them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we get a... Because Tracy does like the resurrection cookies with the kids where like you start on Friday and then you like tape the oven shut and then you pull out the cookies on Saturday on Sunday morning before church and you delve into those. So Yeah, bro, those are sweet. Yeah. That's such a good idea. Or what did she... No, she did last year. She put marshmallows and cookies and then they expand and the marshmallows come out of the cookie and you're like... Oh, oh. whoa. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, so yeah, things like my my imagination is still going. Like, I want my kids to, I want this to be a part of our family's culture, and my kids have a tangible way to think about yeah. Christ descended and it was victorious. While the rest of the world looked at this as horrific, his disciples fled whenever he was crucified. Some most of them abandoned him before he was crucified. Um, but Jesus knows what's going on. He's able to count it as a joy to be crucified because he knows that whenever he's crucified and killed. His soul is going to go and pronounce judgment, pronounce victory mm. over the kingdom of darkness. Uh, so on a dark day, Jesus is at work. Hey, y'all. That's awesome, man. Would you, um, so N.T. Wright, uh, one of my favorite theologians, has a kind of a shocking uh, chapter in his book on Easter <laughs> where he, he suggests that you celebrate not just an Easter day, but uh, an Easter week. And so he suggests that every morning of Easter week, you, uh, you toast champagne in the morning. <laughs> so whatever you think about that, yeah. that would certainly make it feel distinct. For sure. Yeah. Cause I'm not toasting champagne on a regular no. Thursday morning or Saturday morning. <laughs> so for Holy Saturday, would you buy a special bottle of bourbon that you don't open until Saturday? 
That'd be a good thought. You know, I'm just I'm trying to think of ways. The stink though. Yeah, it would be a connoisseur. No, but you pop that cork off and you get all the bubbles and it's like, oh, this thing's alive. I was thinking about stuff like that. But yeah, um, I think Mm. distinction is a is a good word, which is why the liturgical calendar is so helpful. Right. Of uh, makes things pop. This time of the year, we do this to remind us of this. and that's the other thing I think about the descent is that it's not some newfangled thing that's just been recently discovered. I think it's being rediscovered. Um, sure. But the church has practiced this yeah. um, for, for years. And the Roman Catholic Church has celebrated this. The Eastern Orthodox Church has celebrated this. The Ru- Russian Orthodox Church has celebrated it. Um, but Protestants were just like, well, we're not like them Catholics, so we're not doing that. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, so anyway, but yeah, this that distinction and... Embracing this as a liturgical moment for you as a family, but as a church family as well. Yeah, yeah. I think like one question that's going on in my head is like, what if Jesus's victory over the powers and principalities in his descent to hell, what if Holy Saturday is more important than my birthday? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I just think that's a good starting question. I'm like, okay, well, what, what would we do? How could I make that feel distinct how could i demonstrate jesus's victory to my kids in a way that's super fun i just think that those 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 questions they might not have they might not have answers but they might have ideas and mm-hmm. i think maybe chasing those down with curiosity would be uh would be super helpful uh any any last words on the descent any last words in general for this i think my uh i just want to read this i guess you call it a poem or a prayer um Written by a dude in 1595. His name was Edmund Spencer. Um, but I, I think this, I'm definitely going to read this on Holy Saturday um, to my kids in addition to the cool. Apostles' Creed. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to read somebody else's words because they're better than my words to end this podcast with. But Yeah. Um, Most glorious Lord of life, that on this day didst make thy triumph over death and sin, and having harrowed hell, didst bring away captivity thence captive us to win. This joyous day, dear Lord, with joy begin, and grant that we, for whom thou didst die, being with thy dear blood clean, clean washed from sin, may live forever in felicity, and that thy love we weighing worthily, may likewise love thee for the same again, and for thy sake, that all like dear didst buy, with love may one another entertain, so let us love, dear love, like as we ought." Love is a lesson which the Lord us taught. I mm. think that encapsulates the celebratory, victorious moment of, of Holy Saturday. Yeah, man. Amen. He was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. Mm. Cool. That's good news. That's right. Love you, church. See you, on, uh, see you during the harrowing of hell night.